Welcome to HashiCast, the self-proclaimed number one podcast about the world of DevOps practices, tools, and practitioners. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of HashiCast. Today, we have Laura Santamaria from LogDNA. Laura and I met through the Austin, Texas chapter of Women Who Code, where she ran this big, awesome Python course. So, Laura, tell us a little bit more about yourself. Hi there. I'm Laura Santa Maria, as Tracy said, and I have been at LogDNA now for about a year and a half. And before that, I was at Rackspace. So if you were in the Austin area, you probably saw me at all the meetups uh, that we had there. And um, yeah, my... My background's a little little checkered, I like to call it, because I actually started out in science, and that's what my degree is in, earth science, and uh, I moved through that through education, uh, science education. Yes, I did used to do demos at a science center. I used to talk in front of a green screen. It was lots of fun, and uh, then I moved into tech, and, and here I am, uh, helping to explain how things work to lots of people, so... Uh, I guess it's a little bit about me uh, and then random fact about me other than the earth science thing, which everybody finds hilarious. I really do watch real clouds. Uh, that is my one of my hobbies, not watching, you know, cloud-based computing, but actual clouds. So uh, that, that's kind of my, my joke. That's really bad. Um, no, it's not. I'm that's sorry really to awesome. those of you listening. <laughs> your your vamp is different than mine. Is- way weirder than mine. I started in marketing. <laughs> the only reason I didn't double major in MIS is because I got tired of my school and I just wanted to get out. <laughs> and I literally shook his hand and said bye while I was walking across the stage. <laughs> there you go. That's the best way to do it. I'm out of here. See ya. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. So. so let's see. For those that have not heard of LogDNA, what exactly does LogDNA do? Oh, that's a really great question. So um, LogDNA is a log management provider. Uh, basically, take all of your logs from all of the different places that you have them and funnel them to one place where you can get all the information that you have uh, for those logs. And you know, we're um, we're really focusing on trying to make it a really great experience. So, a great UI. Uh, one of my one of my favorite things is actually being able to like click on a link with the log, like mm-hmm. the log line itself, and shove that off to somebody else and they get the same exact context I do. So it's really great for being able to communicate. Um, I like to say that, you know, logging is the language of DevOps because we all need to be able to use it to communicate. And this is one of those wonderful things that says like, if a dev is debugging their system on staging and they're trying to figure out what's going on, they can send it off to QA, they can send it off to the ops team or an SRE or whoever they need to send it off to. And everybody's looking at the same thing. You're not like trying to like, copy it and get your formatting right in slack and mm-hmm. awkwardly like saying but i swear this is exactly why uh this is these are the steps to reproduce instead you say here's the context that it came from take a look right here poof done it uh it really lets everybody get things done the way they need to get done so so sysadmins uh, can't get away not having a root cause anymore well i mean i don't believe in the term root cause like uh you know we like to talk about all the different reasons something might break um you can't blame anybody else anymore which is kind of sad i guess yeah sorry <laughs> Darn. sorry sorry sysadmin um i i do love you but yeah you can't like say oh it's the dev's fault well 
unless it actually is the dev's fault, in which case, well, what can we say? But, you know, same thing. Uh, yeah, it's it's a really nice way, though, in all seriousness, to be able to look at the context of what's going on and mm-hmm. just say, oh, hey, cool. I have it all right here in front of me so I can see what's going on. And and we have a lot of partnerships, too, um, in terms of being able to send it out. So you can send off to PagerDuty, you can send off to Slack, uh, VictorOps just any various random places for alerts, but you can also connect out to other systems if you're doing observability tools uh, on top of logging, um, you're able to connect out. So it's pretty cool. That does sound cool. Let's see. When we met, you weren't a developer advocate for anyone, were you? Like, Nope. No, I was editing exams, uh, science and math exams. That was my job. I'm not kidding. (laughs) I don't miss teaching. I don't miss teaching. You gave me a really bad flashback right then. Um, <laughs> Sorry. It's okay. It's okay. Um, how did you get into developer advocacy then? <laughs> that's, that's a great question in all seriousness. Um, so like I said, I used to be in science education. I used to uh, do demos at science centers, things like that. And then I moved away from doing any kind of teaching when I went into editing. Um, but I moved down here to Austin from uh, Lawrence, Kansas, where I was working at the time. And... Um, I kind of showed up at this Python class uh, for women who code Austin. And I had been like teaching myself Python on the side, doing different things with it. And I had been running various computer systems because, you know, when you're at a university, sometimes you got to do what you got to do and you got to get it done because no one else is coming to help you. Um, So I kind of showed up at this Python course and, um, they eventually needed somebody to help teach it. And I'm like, well, I can do that. I used to teach, kind of. Good enough. Uh, And then from there, I got a job at Rackspace doing some development work. And then I missed teaching people stuff. So uh, this job came up, uh, being a DevRel for LogDNA, a dev advocate. And it was like, oh, so wait, that's how you get people to like listen to you teach them about stuff when you have a development background? Oh, yeah, this sounds like fun. Let's do that. Uh, and so here I am. Little did I know what I was signing up for, I guess, but uh, it's still lots of fun in general. So yeah, that's how I got here where I am, I guess. What are some things that you do to help prep or push yourself through stage fright? as it pertains to like all of a sudden becoming a developer advocate, because that's been hard for me to push through. Oh man. Um, the first thing, the very, very first thing I'm going to say is anybody who claims that they got over stage fright, uh, is lying to you and selling you snake oil. Um, cause frankly, I've, I've been up in front of people doing demos from little kids who will always tell you exactly what you're doing wrong. All the way out to, you know, adults doing science demos. And then now, like, giving talks, giving workshops, doing all of these things. Uh, I still shake. Um, One of the things I love to tell people is never, ever, ever have a glass of water in your hand in your first, like, 10 minutes on stage. Uh, Hmm. And I say that with a very good reason. One time I did that early on in my career and managed to... I was shaking so hard. I dumped the entire glass of water down my front at the very beginning oh, no. of my talk. Um, <laughs> it was hilarious. Like looking back now, of course. Um, but the fact is, is like, that's one of those things that I always think about is like, 
I more have to mitigate what's going on, not necessarily try to quote unquote fix it. Mm-hmm. So ahead of time, you know, practice is always important, all of those lovely things, but no matter how much practice you have, it still kind of freaks you out to sit up there on stage. So okay. uh, some of my strategies for dealing with stage fright include uh, I have a, um, a Reddit, like I'll go on Reddit and I have a bunch of saved posts of like really cute puppies and kittens and like stuff like that to go read. That's like fluff, uh, something mm-hmm. to take my mind off of it. I also um, I do meditation before my talk, very short meditation. Um, mm-hmm. So I've been using the Headspace app. I don't have my phone on me right now. Um, I've been using the Headspace app. It works pretty well because they have these little short meditations, but you don't really need an app. You can just do it yourself. And then it's uh, don't trip going up the stairs, you know, all those fun things on the stage. Mm-hmm. I've done that. That's always fun. Uh, you got to make it as a joke. But I mean, a lot of it has to do with either it's terrifying being up in front of someone. Absolutely. Especially when like you're sharing information. And, but the bigger thing about that that goes behind it to me is imposter syndrome. I am waiting for somebody to tell me that I am so wrong, that I'm imposter on stage, like all that, because that's what my brain is doing the entire time I'm talking. And so all of like those strategies around preventing that imposter syndrome terrifiedness is important to me. Uh, I'll never really get away from it. I know that. But the validation of being able to know, like, no, really, I do know what I'm talking about. And so kind of going through and doing all of those imposter syndrome strategies. And of course, right now, sitting here doing this podcast, I can't remember any of them because stage fright and, and imposter syndrome, and I'm completely filling in time uh, <laughs> because that's what we do. Um, what can I say? That's what everybody does. But a lot, of, to be honest with you, a lot of it is that I practice enough that my brain goes on autopilot And I've also trained myself to be comfortable with silence. So when I'm talking, I've, I've cut out the uhs and ums, which took a lot of practice of just like constantly removing those from my everyday speech, which then translated Mm -hmm. to my actual, my, my speaking. But then on top of it, the, by going on autopilot, I then have set pauses which help to emphasize what I'm saying, but it also ensures that I'm not like breathing too heavily which is nice. Like, you know, you don't want to be this close to the mic and just constantly breathing really, really heavily. Right. That's not really great. Um, Cause you're just terrified and you're talking so fast and you're just trying to fill it all in. And, oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. Ah! Mm-hmm. So by forcing myself to pause, it slows my voice down. So the autopilot of those two things. So I know exactly what the start always is. I, I'll have like a, you know, Hey there, thanks for having me. My name is Lars Marie. I'm log DNA's developer advocate. And today we're going to talk about, and whatever that topic might be, um, right. because I have that like just little bit of set pieces in my head, instead of filling with those uhs and ums and starting to like really freak out, my brain just fills in that piece. And once I get past that initial start, it's like, oh, okay, I practice this part. I know what I know the next phrase. And oftentimes I use my slides as my the jogging of the next phrase, not as a note. So many people like put oh, all of their bullet points all over the slide yeah. and it's like their note cards. Mine, if, if you take a look at mine, it, it's always like short phrases or one word even. So you have triggers. I tr- Yeah, I trigger the next slide by triggering, like I trigger what I'm about to say by triggering the next slide. Okay. So if I forget where I am in that practice, it's like, oh, right, that's where I was. 
okay, let's keep moving. Okay. And that it doesn't make the stage fright better as much as it gives me something else to do, which is kind of a weird way of looking at it. But I still shake like anything and I won't wear skirts on stage for that reason. Because you can tell if I'm shaking so hard. Because That's why. Skirt will be. Yeah, the, the skirt will just kind of be like fluttering in the wind, but there's no wind. Um, you know, e- either that or I need to tell people, okay, okay, I'm going to be wearing a skirt. Uh, somehow find a way to like cut off the bottom of the stage so you can't see my feet uh, because I'm, the, the skirt's just going in the wind of nothing um, and terror. So, yeah, fun times. <laughs> my first two talks i think well no so my first talk was technically at our our really big company meeting Ooh. and so people i knew were that knew that that was literally my first talk ever were sitting in the front row and i wasn't expecting that so that one was easy because it was a diversity talk and so mm-hmm. i was also scared so i kept telling anyone in the room that if you have a problem with me my manager is sitting here stage right Please give all of your complaints to him. (laughs) My first big talk, I always add something weird to my talks. My first big talk had, I got the audience to sing happy birthday to my mother. (laughs) And then the the next big talk I had, YouTube, not YouTube, Google's, Google Slides is great until you realize that all of your videos that you embed are pretty much YouTube videos. And it didn't uh-huh. give me the permission that I was supposed to have on my own work computer. And so literally oh. nothing, like it locked me out on stage. And so you can go back and watch that talk oh, again dear. and go, well, well, if this slide were working, this is what you would see. And I'm, like, oh, God, <laughs> I'm never doing that again. Then the next time I had a talk, they couldn't share the screen properly so I could see my speaker notes. So I had my phone in my hand and I literally just leaned on there and I just talked. I was like, look, I, this is going to be very comfortable uh at this point <laughs> and i just leaned and just talked to him like i was t- so that one helped yeah me. but it's and this whole foray into speaking was not what i thought it was gonna be <laughs> at all yeah what what do you and i'm i'm coming i'm gonna come back to what you were about to say but if you have any one thing and i think i asked this with to tamiko who's my my previous guest uh-huh. If you have to have any one thing on stage, like what helps you get ready? Like some people were like, for me, I have to have earrings on to feel like I'm at work, but I also wear weird earrings on my talks. Oh, oh, that's a good question. Um, what do I do to like, feel like I'm up on stage? So I do have my clicker. Uh, and there's something about having that in my hand mm-hmm. that does make me like, oh, right. I'm on this. So like, I have to practice with my clicker in my hand, even if it's not actually on. Um, and I'll, sometimes I'll carry it for my ignites too. Like I'll have it even, so my ignites are all auto advancing slides, even when I'm running my ignite. So, um, let me clarify five minute, five minute talk, uh, 20 slides auto advance. Uh, so your slides advance on a regular schedule throughout. I love those talks. They are the best. Oh, they're so much fun. But they're my favorite. I swear. Uh, The reason that they're my favorite is that I can cover a lot of ground carefully in a really good space, have a really tight story and share like little tidbits. Mm -hmm. But often um, I practice them so heavily that I can't get scared because I can practice them so often. But the other thing is, is that I'm guaranteed to end on time. 
because of the way that my slides are set up. And gotcha. remember how I said it constantly prompts me? Mm -hmm. So as long as I'm able to see the slides, it constantly prompts me, which is a problem, though, when you're doing most Ignites because you don't actually get to see your slides. So uh, I, I did Ignites for um, DevOps Day Chicago, and it was mm -hmm. pre-recorded. Uh, I think I took 15 or 20 takes at least on that. Uh, I have to go back and listen. I did um, I did a podcast with uh, Arrested DevOps. We did like an overview of that one. Mm -hmm. And I can't remember how many slides I said because it's been so long ago. Like, you know, when the terror like blocks it out. Uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> that's kind of how bad it was. But it was because I had put my slides on a screen thinking, oh, perfect. It'll just keep prompting me. I can just real quick record it. But I put it down so far you can't like you'll see me trying to glance down in the official recording because it's so far down I can't read it. And then we started I, I was recording next to a window and the cars kept driving by. I don't know how I like didn't think about it. And like you could hear it through my mic. I was like, oh, mm -hmm. booger. OK, I. <laughs> uh, but no, seriously, I, I really do love Ignites. They're a wonderful way to get just a bit of information out and like spark conversations. And if you do it really, really well, you're able to draw a line through the story and just mm -hmm. kind of say, here's the spikes. Here's the really quick information you need to do. Some people do it as like hot takes. Some people do it as silly stuff. And then I like to do it as, let me tell you a real fast story. And I bet we're going to learn something new together. Let's do this. And I bet people don't get bored because I have problems yeah. with videos. Once we hit that 10 minute mark, <laughs> eight hours later, I'm 20 minutes in. Like I don't, yeah. <laughs> I don't do well with those. So maybe I should reevaluate how I feel about these. Cause eh, you know, if you want to practice, it's lots of fun. I'm always happy to do it. And actually uh DevOps days, Texas's CFP is closing soonish. 31st. I, I, I don't know when, I don't up. know when this is getting released. Sorry. When we get, no, no, Oops. you're fine. Um, people on the call soonish. I will have already submitted. I'm sorry, but I love you. <laughs> <laughs> and we will be giggling through this entire call. I don't. Oh yeah. It's been this years so much since fun. we've had a chance to talk. So <laughs> it's yeah. Uh, We're just going to be giggling, giggling like monsters over here and it will be so much fun. So it will be very fun. Yay. Anyway. Oh, this one came up recently well no yeah. let me go back to the other one because i was going to ask you about imposter syndrome later on and i know you wrote a blog post about it like a year or so ago yeah i was going to ask you has it gotten better for you though like how do you well you kind of already told me how you work uh, through it so like has it gotten better no <laughs> i'll be blunt about it no <laughs> i mean like i guess the i'm always I'm always refining that coping strategies, but mm -hmm. I don't think it'll ever get better. I mean, when I was doing all the science demos, like I spent four years studying that stuff. Mm -hmm. I knew it like the back of my hand. Didn't mean that I didn't feel like I was an imposter standing there trying to explain it to people. That's true. Even then, even then. So this, I feel like the thing about this industry in general, like, computing and tech and IT and all that stuff mm -hmm. is that things are changing so much so fast that everyone is at a different stage and a different place in their journey through tech. Some people are still on monolithic applications, legacy applications that are running like, you know, um, some Solaris box somewhere, right? Yes. I mean, let's be honest. Some people are, are still there. There are definitely still people, and I know this for a fact, who are running on the old fashioned mainframes, not even the new ones. 
they're running on the old-fashioned mainframes, like the big ones. There are still some companies way out there. Actually, it's really government. What can I say? Um, That are still running that, that, right? (laughs) So you think about how so many people are at all different levels of their journey, that if you're talking to somebody about something legacy or quote unquote legacy, or it was something that got released last month, someone else is always going to be ahead of you telling you you're wrong, right? So it's like, there's never going to be enough time for me to remember all of it or know all of it. So I'm always going to feel like an imposter somewhere because I'm like, well, I have this experience. I guess it's good enough, but I'm sure someone else has way more experience than I do. But I'll tell you a story about that. Speaking of, I made an absolute fool of myself at Delivery Conf last year. I went and I was speaking on legacy applications, building pipelines underneath legacy applications. And I was telling a story from back in my Rackspace days to, to go back The keynote the first day was Dave Farley and Jez Humble talking about 10 years later after their book. I look out into the audience partway through my talk and I realize both Jez Humble (laughs) and Dave Farley are sitting in the audience (laughs) listening to me. This is one of those cases where I was so thankful that I spent so much time practicing because my brain just blanked. I was like, they're watching me. Oh, my God. What do I do? Right. You can't actually tell in the recording, thankfully, like. My voice didn't change. I just kept going. But like that little part of my brain that is the imposter is like, they're listening to me. They're going to tell me where I'm wrong. Oh, no, oh, no, oh, no, no. But this is what you have to know about imposter syndrome is all these people that you're expecting to tell you that you're wrong mm-hmm. really want you to succeed because they're so excited. Other people are out there talking about it. They were tweeting about me. They were tweeting are about my talk serious? during the talk. Yeah. And like they asked. They, I think they, one of them asked a question. I think at that point, like my brain had stopped. So I can't really remember if one of them actually asked a question. And then afterwards, I, I did go up to both of them. Like, Thank you for coming to my talk. And then like Aww. sprinted out of the room because um, I was so embarrassed, but so excited that they came to my talk. I'm sure they probably were wondering what that was all about. Well, now, you know, um, <laughs> because it's one of those moments of like, oh, my heroes are talking to me. Ah, what do I yes. do? <laughs> but I mean, like, there's still people, right? There's still people. Yeah. They're just like you and I. And they they wanted you to do well because none of us actually know everything. So, like, I sit there listening to some people talking about logging. I don't know everything about logging. It's so cool to hear somebody talking about logging right. because it's not just me. Like, I'm not out there the only one talking about it. Not like I would be, but you know what I mean? Like, right. if I could get some of these, like, junior devs to come up and do, give a talk, I am so going to show up for your talk. I don't care what it takes for me to do that, but I am so going to support you in that. And that's, I think, where you meet imposter syndrome on the outside, like as somebody like you and I or Dave Farley and Jez Humble showing up, right. paying attention and saying positive things really helps build up other people to get through their imposter syndrome, which is why to me it's so important to go and like talk to each other and try to build each other up all the time. I'll get off my soapbox now. <laughs> It was a good so It was pretty strong short. one. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> I think for me, I get stuck in the embarrassment phase of imposter syndrome. Oh, yeah. Like for me, when I became a software engineer, I was raised a certain way and I'm a perfectionist. And I might have said this in my last talk was like I and people who know me have heard this story. But like when I took multiple choice tests in high school. I would leave some of them blank because if my brain didn't know the exact answer, I wouldn't fill it in. And 
the teachers yeah. started figuring it out. And so every time I turned in the test, they I had to wait after a certain point until they looked through to make sure. And then they would force it back on me and make me do that. It wasn't until ah. college a professor realized I had test anxiety. Yeah. And so she started situating me outside of class and would let me, she trusted me to wear my headphones without getting the answers and stuff. And you could tell uh -huh. the difference between high school and then all of a sudden everything, I felt more confident. But it's yeah. always been about embarrassment with me. I can't, I couldn't do code reviews forever because I was so afraid of the team wrong. finding out what I didn't know. And I was like, yeah. somebody was like, you do trust us, right? Like, don't you? And I was like, yeah. <laughs> so you don't trust us to tell you and help you get better? And I was like, you didn't have to throw that in my face. So, it's like, <laughs> <laughs> so that's where I'm usually coming from. And had yeah. my brain turned off in your, in your story, I absolutely would have been making a fool of myself going. And of course, just just humble is in the audience while I'm giving this talk. Hi, Jess. Um, and, and I would have continued. And that's how I yeah. would have addressed it. So kudos for you not shaking or trembling or faltering. It was, it was all that practice. It was all that practice that kept me going because I was like, I, this has to be a good talk. This has to be a good talk. But no, I completely get that that feeling of embarrassment and not wanting to you know, be seen as wrong. You want to mm -hmm. be right and you don't want to reveal your uh, where you think you have a weakness. And I guess for me, like speaking of code review or, or something like that, like I got lucky. I got dumped into a team that they did like video code review where Ooh. everyone had the code review together, which was really fun. Um, so the basic idea behind it is you had an initial pass that people would do asynchronously. And then mm -hmm. someone would schedule a Zoom call because we, we were on Zoom at the time. Someone mm -hmm. would schedule a Zoom call and they would say, okay, um, the person who put in the PR would talk about why the PR is there. Mm -hmm. And then someone else who hadn't reviewed it yet would share their screen and we would go through line by line. And everybody has to ask at least one question. Everybody has to point out at least one thing because no one's perfect. And right. the whole idea was that all the seniors were very, very focused on building up the junior folks. And all the junior folks, their job literally was to ask questions about mm. how does this happen? How does that happen? And other folks would model what to do. So like as I got further along, it was like, okay, during the call, if there's silence, I'm filling it in. Even though I already know the answer, I'm going to help ask questions. Right. And huge props to the care team at Rackspace that did that and, and uh, Jay Parlar, who kind of put that out there with everybody else. I think that was a fantastic idea because it did break down that embarrassment factor mm -hmm. of being wrong because you were questioning live and everybody was wrong somewhere someone right. was wrong everyone was wrong we're all wrong yay <laughs> we're all wrong together doesn't really help you on stage of course but it did help a ton with like pull requests and and doing reviews and things like that so you learned like oh this is how i start asking questions but i've embarrassed myself so badly on stage that i want to say like that's the one that i've learned to i've learned to make jokes around it because if i mm -hmm. make light of it it's less embarrassing because other people right. are having fun with me um, right. I, I've, I've already said like, I'm pretty goofy. I, uh, you, if no. you have it, yeah, me, um, I mean, it's pre probably pretty obvious for those of you listening that we're giggling like, <laughs> like crazy over here. Uh, but I'm, I'm used to making light of things and kind of doing because, you know, when, when you're doing a demo in front of little kids and you know, the, the, the volcano doesn't explode, like the little like paper mache volcano that you're trying to show them how like everything goes boom. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't do anything. 
you got to fill it in. Because of that, I learned that the best way to deal with my embarrassment, at least for me, is to start mm-hmm. making, start learning how to make light of it as the thing goes on. So like, oh, hey, I forgot to put batteries in my clicker. I guess uh, we're going to go over here and we're going to press the <laughs> button, you know? So it's it's kind of goofing off like that or tripping up the tripping up the stairs going up on stage like whoa where did that stair come from you know classic dad joke version that's probably the way that i deal with it i guess i don't know i'm a cord tripper not a stair tripper (laughs) long-winded answer for me so i know you're gonna get long-winded about this one though that was nothing Uh i already Uh know what i'm asking on this one all right (laughs) i'm not going to i'm not going to point out any specific conversation around this particular question However, while we're on the subject of developer relations, or you'll hear us probably say it as DevRel for the listeners, um, I want to bring up a debate-ish thing that I've seen more than once. You already know I'm going to ask. So (laughs) do you feel there's a difference between developer advocacy and developer evangelism? Okay. Yes. Absolutely. Yes. (laughs) I, I absolutely believe there's a difference. And here is my definition. My definition is that developer advocacy is about, it's much more um, community focused. Now, before somebody starts screaming at me, not you, Mm -hmm. but like somebody out there in the, in the world who's screaming at their phone right now. um, When I'm, what I'm saying by that is that the person who's a dev advocate goes out and they try to share the knowledge that they have. So to me, the definition of community is a group of people trying to share knowledge so that everyone can rise together, right? Mm -hmm. So like everybody gets built up together and we all learn something new. A developer advocate is very, very focused on building that community, building that, how can I help you get better at the general topic that we're from? Right. Dev evangelism and you'll hear, you'll hear different people use different terms. Like you'll hear tech evangelist, dev evangelist, Mm -hmm. Um, I've also heard technical ambassador uh, to get away from the connotation of the word evangelist. Evangelist, Um, So I've heard a bunch of different places. To me, that person isn't talking as much to like the the individual contributor, the manager community. They're talking to like director plus. So up towards C-suite and they are talking more about how the product helps you. So they're a lot more product focused to me. Right. It's not to say that they don't teach about the same things that a dev advocate teaches. Like they are talking about best practices and things like that, but their focus is a lot more on the higher level. How can this product help you kind of right. thing? That's my personal take on that difference. I know some people disagree. Uh, and to me, this industry DevRel is, itself is changing so rapidly and yes. changing so much that I don't think anybody except mary maybe mary grace um i don't think anybody can actually like say definitively this is what it is right because it's all different (laughs) and it's really like who are you at the company what do you do at the company it doesn't really matter what the title is anymore um except to outsiders who were all like well wait you're a dev dev advocate you're dev evangelist are you a devops advocate do you care about devops what like, I think it's hilarious. No offense to anybody, but like, it is really confusing. It is. And for for an industry that prides itself on communicating, 
and being really, really clear and transparent and helping people grow, we are probably the worst people at naming ourselves. (laughs) Yes, absolutely horrible at it. (laughs) Absolutely horrible at it. We're so bad. Oh, man. I get I I do a lot of interviews uh, for the company right now as we're hiring. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's probably one of the most common questions I get. Because they, really? they just get the title. They get my name and the title, right? Laura Sandemarie, Developer Advocate. They get on and they're like, I, I say, you know, if you have any questions for me, I'd love to answer anything I can answer. And they go, so my first question is, so so what is it you do? And every time they say that, I think of like, you know, uh, uh, office space. But like, they, they say to me, what is a dev advocate? What does a dev advocate do? And so I've explained this so much over the course of the past like year and a half. It's like, Okay, so I am a two-way conduit with the community and the company. I did. <laughs> I mean, I try to be helpful with it, but it's just really right. funny that I constantly get that question because we are so bad at communicating what exactly we do because <laughs> it's so like nebulous. But that's true, and I'm you don't have to answer this next one before I give you my answer to the question. But okay, I'm gonna put it out here anyway. Do you feel like Devrel should have an engineering background to be in Devrel? Oh, 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 no. Okay. I'll be hundred percent honest. Uh, reason being like, because community management mm-hmm. is not specific to tech. Um, right. I mean, I was building communities back in the science center. I was building communities back, you know, uh, like all over the place and the community of practice terminology that's been around in all kinds of industries for ages. Like there's entire degree programs on it, um, on, on how to build community, especially like among teachers and education and things like that. Um, when it comes to like being a dev advocate or a dev evangelist, this is where it gets a little fuzzy for me. And it's not because I don't think that people outside of like with that engineering background, people who don't have that, like that they can't, but it's how do you garner respect? That's the question. Because like you're in front of people who aren't um, like if you look out into the world of, of dev advocacy, like there, there's like Heidi Waterhouse, right? She's mm-hmm. she's always said, you know, she's not an engineer like she was in technical writing, but she has such respect with the community yes. that people listen because she has a really fantastic way of explaining everything. And she has the technical curiosity to go learn about something. So to me, like, that's what a dev advocate needs. The engineering background helps because you can pull on more of those uh, anecdotes of what's happened. But that doesn't mean that it's perfect. That doesn't mean that, you know, somebody who has a background in technical writing or education or whatever doesn't mean anything to me. So, you know, like, People without that background in engineering can absolutely be a dev advocate, but can you garner the respect is really always the question. That really so. is the question. For, and to be honest, I don't think a lot of the companies that have developer advocates really know what they do. Like, <laughs> no, they don't. <laughs> which is really weird. They're like, so like for me, I'm, and I'm kind of like you, like advocacy, especially at HashiCorp, 
like we're very community focused and you know we've got terraform and all other kinds of stuff yeah we've got huge communities for providers and they are very opinionated communities for our providers um and our all of our other tools but that's what we work off of if the community says that they're using this integration with one of our tools of course we're going to do that because that's what the community is telling us to do now where it gets hinky is okay i believe a developer evangelist or ambassador or whatnot is more sales and marketing adjacent and so they're more Mm -hmm. product shields and i'm sorry people out there for using the word chill but they're more (laughs) likely to try to convince you of something than I think an advocate would, which is funny because a lot of companies have their DA programs, even their advocacy programs under marketing. Yeah. And so that's another place the confusion can come in. But um, what was I, where was I going with this? <laughs> it was important. Oh yeah. I remember. So okay. the other thing, <laughs> the other thing is I think a lot of people think that we just talk at conferences and write blogs. Oh posts. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And and you get that from that even came up on a Twitter thread of mine one day. I was like, are you I'm sorry, like, I do realize you're not in the U.S., but is that what you really is that all you think we do? You're basing oh, yeah. everyone else off of two or three people that you just happen to follow. I don't have we and I don't think you either. We produce our own content. We edit our own content. We release mm-hmm. our own content. We build demos. We're more engineering focused than a lot of people outside of the engineering team. And especially yeah. with my team. We've got some amazing, we've got HashiCraft, like Minecraft and, and HashiCorp tools. Like what else would you not <laughs> want to do with that? That's fun. And so, yeah, I, I do believe teachers are natural. I think they're natural dev advocates because oh, like yeah. you said, you taught in earth science. I taught math. We just like the light bulb to come on. And it's a kind of a really fun combination of being mm-hmm. a tech geek and a light bulb enhancer and enabler and it you put it <laughs> together and all kinds of sorts of weird things can happen. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I do believe it, there's a separation um, with it also. Um, engineering yeah. wise. So I started in, in the engineering org at HashiCorp, but mm-hmm. I also think practitioners are probably better suited to become developer advocates of their favorite products than somebody from engineering how many people from engineering do you know that actually use the pro- the products that they build <laughs> right no comment so, <laughs> <laughs> exactly so there are tons of practitioners out there that love working with it yeah you can work with it you don't have to work in engineering come tell us yeah. about all of the stuff and all the cool things that you're building or integrations that you've got all these plugins and stuff shoot yeah apply but don't be scared off because you don't have an engineering focus. Hell, to be completely honest, the practitioner person that comes in to become a DA will probably get more um, respect than yeah. some of the people that, yeah. are, that are already there. Yeah. So, and I mean, that that soft skill of explaining things, a soft skill, I don't know, whatever we want to call it, that, that ability to take something and break it down and explain it to people, like, mm-hmm. that's not that's not an easy skill to find. To be able to take really complex ideas and break it down. I mean, um, this is this is why definitely teachers are good for this. But also, like, if you're good at breaking it down, like, maybe you are a technical writer. Maybe mm-hmm. you are a, um, you know, just somebody hacking away because you have passion in what you're doing. You're just, you know, doing it in your, uh, you know, in your free time, whatever that right. means nowadays. And 
the middle of a pandemic when everything feels like it's work or, right. you know, being at home. Um, you know, if you have passion on like, to me, this is the other thing is, is the passion around caring about other people being able to do something. Mm -hmm. If you have that passion, I really don't care what your background is. Right. You have to be passionate about the community. You have to be passionate about sharing that knowledge and whatever that knowledge might be and being able to break it down. Like I can teach, I can teach you about logging. I can teach you about observability. That's okay. You can right. go and read thousands of posts and blog posts and this and that. And everybody's talking about whatever topic it is. It's not like we live in a realm where we don't have enough information. Right. I mean, there's too much information in some cases. But if you're able to say, I'm technically curious enough to go find out how something works, and I am passionate about making sure people understand it, and I'm really good at explaining it, you're a dev advocate. Congratulations. <laughs> now, do you want to get paid for it or not is the next question. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Everybody would like to get paid. Paid is nice. <laughs> so definitely go do that. Um, but yeah, that's that to me is how I look at it is that it's not, it's not exclusive to engineering, even though a lot of us do end up in marketing and things like that. Like we definitely are more engineering bent. We have that right. kind of mind, but it's not exclusive. So, right. Yeah. Let's see. Yeah. Oh, uh. good one. Cause you were, you were talking about IAC earlier. So Yes. You're also heavily involved with what Austin DevOps and DevOps Days Austin. Did I say that right? And DevOps Days Texas. Yes. Oh, I didn't know about the last one. Yes. That's the CFP to respond oh, to. Oh, I was going to go for the wrong CFP. All right. I'm glad you said that. <laughs> well, oh. Austin isn't open because they're not going to be doing a remote remote version. But yeah, um, I'm, I'm co-host of Austin DevOps, Cloud Austin. Both of them are the two really big meetups here in the Austin area. Um, mm -hmm. And then DevOps stays Austin and DevOps stays Texas. So good night, woman. Yeehaw. You get started <laughs> with all those. They're like one, did you get started with one and it kind of went chain link? No, no, it's a good question. Um, a lot of it's networking, right? Uh, right. So when I was at Rackspace, I uh, co-chaired the group that ran the, um, the hosting space. Okay. For lack of a better term, uh, we we provided the hosting space to the community and coordinated with meetups to make sure they had um, a place to come, a place to talk, a place to share information, things like that. Um, so I co-chaired that group, and as the co-chair, I often would like fill in for people who said, "Hey, I'm supposed to be the host tonight for this meetup. I can't make it. Can you fill in?" Um, or, "Hey, we need an extra hand walking people back because we had this whole thing where we had to." check people in at the front yep. desk and you had to get walk them through the secure area to get to the hosting space. Um, so often I was one of the people helping walk and I started showing up at Austin DevOps and showing up at Cloud Austin. And Austin DevOps at the time was run by one person, Boyd Hemphill. All, every single month run by him and coordinated and everything. And so I got to know him. I got to know the rest of the organizers in the community for... Uh, for Austin DevOps and Cloud Austin and all that, and a bunch of other meetups as well. Um, and then uh, Boyd said to me, hey, you want to come help out at DevOps Days Austin? Like, I see you all over the place. I'm like, yes. 
Why are you asking? The answer is yes. I, <laughs> uh, yeah, just like that. And so I did. I showed up and I volunteered. And I, I'm used to conferences because back in Rackspace also, I helped run the internal conference that Rackspace had. Um, okay. And it was just like, yeah, so where do you need me? I'll just show up. I'll just come help. Like, can I lift that for you? Can I carry that? Can I help? So basically constantly asking, can I help? Um, right. And then when I became a dev advocate, I went back to Boyd and I said to him, you know, hey, do you need help running that meetup? Because I know how much work goes into it. But I was like, do you want right. help? Now that I'm no longer at Rackspace, I can help because I'm not also being the host for the space. And he's right. like, uh, yes, please. <laughs> I need help, please, please. So I did. Oh. So I started helping him. And then I forget how I ended up with a Cloud Austin. Uh, I'm sure it was something similar, but I don't remember. But they have a lot of organizers. Um, but I just started showing up and helping more and helping more and helping more. And then here I am. And then with DevOps Days Texas, that was one of those cases where I got to know so many people in the in the local community i started engaging mm -hmm. with them talking with them um and you know connected with a lot of people and so when devops days texas was kind of being thought through they said hey to a, like a little group of us they said hey who who wants to help organize i was like me <laughs> i'll do i'll do it i'll have fun it'll be fun i'll do it uh <laughs> just because like i want to help out people i my right. biggest thing is always bringing something new, somebody new in and like doing all these things. So now I just kind of kept showing up, like basically ridiculous persistence and being willing to say, I do, I can do that. I will help right. um, and figuring it out as I went. So that's kind of how I got involved in a lot of those. And now like we're doing um, awful shameless plug. We're doing office hours for speakers. <laughs> Uh, yeah, awful, awful shameless plug. We are doing office hours for speakers, uh, new speakers, current speakers, people who just aren't sure how to respond to a CFP, because that's one of those things that I think is really important is growing people, growing the community, but also helping people learn how to give talks and get out there mm -hmm. and be comfortable doing it. I want you to come and respond. I want you to be part of the community and, and tell us what you know, because you probably know something that I don't. I guarantee you, you know, something that I don't, I want to learn from you. So uh, if I can help you get to the point that you respond to the CFP, that's a big thing. So you'll probably start seeing more, more and more of these kind of office hours, -y things showing up for right. new speakers. Um, that's my, uh, my, my little shameless plug to the community. Like, please come learn how to talk. We want to hear you. If I go looking for the CFP, will I mm -hmm. see the office hours advertised on the site? Cause I can send that out. I'll, I, uh, you know, the one day I get on Twitter, I'll tweet that out. <laughs> <laughs> if you actually go to the DevOps Days Texas Twitter, uh, that's where we're, we're putting up these office hours. And then, uh, okay. yeah. And then I also, also retweet it. So if you come find me on Twitter, I'm happy to always retweet it. Um, okay. And then w once DevOps Days Texas is over, I would love to, and we've talked a little bit about, we'll see. Um, but I would really love to have these office hours more often than just for one specific conference. It'd be great if we could just have it on a regular basis. And so you might see more about that. Keep tuned. I will nah. I follow you on Twitter. There's an outtake right oh. there. <laughs> 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 
No, I'm leaving that one in. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh goodness. Okay. As you can see, Laura and I were having fun. So stick around for, uh, for part two of this particular episode. You've been listening to HashiCast with your host, Tracy. Today's guest was Log DNA developer advocate Laura Santamaria. Be sure to tune in on March 30th for part two.